there's a difference between what the theologians call the problem of suffering and what I call the problem of my suffering, right? So what theologians call the problem of suffering is, well, you know, if God is good and he's all-powerful, why does he allow there to be suffering in the world, such great suffering in the world? That's a problem of suffering, and of course, you know, lots of books have been written on this, lots of prayers have been given to this, lots of teachings but on this. That's the problem of suffering. And then there's the problem of my suffering, which is like, you know, okay, I understand why there needs to be suffering and struggle in the world. I understand how there needs to be a space for faith and risk and real consequence and stuff like that. I understand that. But Lord, I understand that. So how about you lighten up on the suffering in my own life? And in particular, see if you, see if you follow me here, in particular, when I do things for God, you know, sometimes I try to do godly things. Any of you? Yeah? When I do things for God, shouldn't those things go really well? Because after all, I'm doing them for God. Occasionally, God tells me to do things, right? He calls me to do things. I spend a lot of time listening to the Lord. I get this sense in my spirit, hey, Jordan, do this. And then I will do it obediently because I'm a nice guy. And I'm a seasoned Christian. And that's what we do. Did you enjoy listening to Lauren Cunningham last week talk about, you know, just listening to the Lord and following through? And he had like a story for every occasion. You know, you get to hang out with somebody who's like 85 years old and has been living the kingdom life like for decades. You hang out with that person and you ask him or her to tell you stories. That's what you do. A little tip from me to you. That always turns out awesomely, you know. And that's what he was talking about last week. And like, well, you know, I've been walking with the Lord a while. Uh, I have stories like that. Many of you have stories like that. I really feel like the Lord is calling me to do this. And then you do it. And it doesn't turn out perfectly. Why is that? That is just wrong. Let, let's, just, let's just say that together. Wrong. You go ahead and tell God he's messing up. Good luck with that. Um, those are the experiences that drive me absolutely batty. Because um, it seems like the Lord should partner with me in, in a different way. I have known more than one uh, pastor, senior pastor, church leader, uh, fellows in, in, in my position who have fallen away from faith entirely because their ministry didn't go well, you know, because their church was not as fruitful as they wanted their church uh, to be. Uh, and I, I totally get it because this is a weird life. It's a hard life. It's a life that's filled with a lot of people and people can be very painful experiences. Do you agree with me? Yeah. You know, and so I, I, I understand that. But on another level, it's like deeply ironic, right? Because it's not, it's not like something terrible happened in their life generally. It's just that the thing they were doing for God specifically didn't turn out. And that like canceled out everything. So it's a real experience. When we step out in faith for God, we expect a certain kind of experience. We hope in a certain kind of experience. Are we hoping in the right sort of experience? And if it doesn't happen, uh, what do we do then? You know, if God wants me to do this thing, why is it so difficult? And why does it involve failures so often? 
And that's a problem of suffering specific to the life of faith, the kingdom life that we at Blue Water try so hard to, to live together. We talk a lot about faith at Blue Water. Um, we talk a lot about how faith is trying, right? We talk a lot about it, so three of you remember, which is a great uptick from last year. So, yeah, you know, faith is, faith is trying things, right? If you, if you trust God, then you do things of God. We talk a lot about that. And we're going uh, through this sermon series from the book of Matthew where we're looking at stuff that Jesus did. And of course, Jesus talks a lot about faith and does a lot of things by faith. Faith is a huge theme in the Gospel of Matthew as it is a huge theme in all of the Gospels, all of those books in the Bible that have to do with what Jesus did uh, when he was uh, walking the earth. And we've talked about... uh, the challenge of faith recently as it applies to the arc of the human story uh, a couple times in the past few weeks. We've talked about the problem of faith as it manifested in the Garden of Eden. The Adam, and, Adam and Eve had no problem believing God existed, right? That's what the story says. They walked with God in the garden. They spoke with God. So they had no problem believing God existed, but they didn't trust God to be good to them, right? So there's a big difference between believing and trusting, two entirely different things, as it turns out. Satan believes in God, does not trust him at all. And we are fighting the same battle. You know, we might believe in God, but do we trust him? And it turns out in the Garden of Eden, there was, there was a test, you know, it was a highly, you know, highly symbolic test. There were two trees, uh, knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And God commanded Adam and Eve, said, you may eat of the tree of life, but they didn't do it. They didn't do it because they didn't trust him. They didn't trust him. If you trust God, you do the things that the Lord calls you to do. That's the first story we get in Scripture. And that story just keeps getting retold in 10,000 different ways as Scripture unfolds. The life of faith, like if you're following Jesus and you want to do Jesus' things, if you want to do kingdom things, if you want to do that which God calls you to do, if you want to do ministry things, if you want to be salt in the earth, if you want to be a light, an influence in the world around you, um, then I think the, the truth is you're going to need more faith and not less, right? You're going to need more trust and not less. You're going to need more risk and not less risk, as it turns out. Because if you are the agents of the kingdom, then you have to showcase especially much what faith looks like, right? If if we are the representatives of of Jesus in this world, uh, then we have to be the number one risk takers, right? We have to trust more than anyone else that God is good and has good things in store for those who trust him, for those who love him. I'm afraid that has corollaries. Uh, I'm afraid it means that if you're a representative of Jesus on the earth, if you are a minister of the kingdom on the earth, then it means, at least occasionally, your road is going to be especially hard. It's going to involve more than your fair share of disappointments more than your fair share of failures because it needs to involve more than your fair share of risks. And if there were no chance of failure, well, there'd be no risk, right? Right? 
And so learning to fail and learning to persevere through hardship and stuff like that, well, that's part of the call, isn't it? Otherwise, we can't display faith. Otherwise, we can't display not just belief, but trust that God is good no matter what. Do you believe God is good no matter what? Are you willing to accept the sort of life that demonstrates that? Because it's not, it's not an undefeated record. That's not what comes with that life. What comes with that life is often the harder road, the up and down road, the grinding road. So, you accept that? All right, then just give each other celebratory high fives and say, yeah, the harder road, baby. Yeah. Woo! I am pumped up now. We're doing this sermon series on stuff Jesus did, and one thing Jesus does, we found this out early on in the Gospel of Matthew, is that he calls people to follow him. He doesn't just get in people's faith and say, believe the right things. Like, he like, never does that. He gets in people's faith and he says, come on, come with me. Let's see what happens. Follow me. That's what Jesus said. And it turns out that when we accept a call to follow Jesus, well, Part of what Jesus does to his followers is that he requires them to do things. He requires them to do things. He gives them assignments. And so here's a a story about that today from Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. It's in your program in little print. It's going to be on the big board in bigger print. Or you could follow along in your smartphone Bible. Excuse me. This is the story where Jesus sends out his disciples without him for the first time. They've been following him a little bit, and then he says, all right, your turn. Go out there and do it without me. Let me know how it goes. I'll be along in a little while. That's basically what this story is about from Matthew 10. And uh, it's the first like, specific mention of the 12, the 12 disciples who become the 12 apostles Disciple means follower or someone under discipline, and apostle means one who has been sent out. So this is the, the moment where Jesus sends them out, uh, and so they kind of become apostles. They become sent ones. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and here's the action item. This is what Jesus did in this story. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority. Yeah, baby, authority. That's popular. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. They got the badge that says you get to boss demons around and you get to heal a lot of uh, diseases and injuries and stuff like that. Good news? That's what Jesus did. Who has authority? That's right. That's right. Because we're disciples of Christ too and we are sent out as well. And then it uh, pauses here and it lets you know who those 12 uh, disciples slash apostles are. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. We've already talked a bit about Matthew. Matthew comes with a title. (laughs) It's not just... uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee, it's Matthew, the tax collector, because tax collectors were considered very evil, sinful people. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. Anybody know what a zealot is? We have a zealot. 
a zealot in this case would have been a Jewish nationalist. You know, we'd think of them as like, I don't know, what we call them right wing, I don't know, maybe, but they were just like very, very pro-Israel. They were militant, they were politically patriotic, sometimes violent, and they hated the Romans. Uh, so Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Um, so a lot, lot going on there uh, in that little paragraph. We will summarize it here in a second, but let's continue. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. So he gave them authority and then he sent them out. That's what Jesus did. These instructions, don't go among the Gentiles or, enti- or enter any town of the Samaritans. Anyways, go, don't leave Israel. Don't go to foreign places. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the message. That's the first thing that Jesus preached at the opening of his ministry, and he's telling his guys to preach the same message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, Some translations will say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is now. All means the same thing. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Preach this message. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Snaps. And then he tells them how to prepare. Uh, Don't take any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. You don't get to take any money. No bag for the journey, no luggage or extra shirt or sandals. You can't take any extra clothes, just wear what you got. Or a staff, just help a journey for protection. For the worker is worth his keep. In other words, somehow you're gonna get all this stuff as you go. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. Great travel plan. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let the peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet, which is sort of a kind of a curse or a judgment thing. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Well, that's friendly. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. That's a heck of a bumper sticker. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. That's two sentences, four animals, if you're counting. Shrewd as snakes, innocent, or as naive, as gentle as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Uh, the, the politicians and the religious leaders will hate you. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. I guess that comes later. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. You don't need to prepare sermons in advance. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the call, and that's, uh, that's the uh, instruction there. I mean, tons going on here. You know, we could spend weeks just in this passage, but I'll tell you some things that strike me that I'm thinking uh, about uh, this morning. First of all, it's really cool that the disciples are given authority, and they're given authority over a, a lot of stuff. 
they're given authority over all impure, unclean spirits, all, all spiritual forces, and they're given authority over every disease and, and sickness. That's a lot of authority. And if they truly have that sort of authority, then, uh, you know, it should uh, get them into some interesting situations. It should allow them to do some supernatural uh, things. Then we get a, a, a short insertion, a description of the community of disciples that are working together. And it's a terrible community. It's really problematic. It's the wrong small group to put together for this. Like if this is my mission team, uh, I'm worried uh, in case you didn't catch it. You have Simon, who is called Peter. There's a lot going on there. Simon means unstable. You know, it means sandy. It means shifty. Uh, blown by the wind like sand. And Peter means rocky. It means stone. So it's like, well, that's an interesting personality. He's named Shifty, but we call him Rocky. Uh, I don't know about that guy. No comment, but evidently everybody would have known who Peter was who read this. And his brother Andrew, James, son of De Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas. We know about Thomas. What do we call him? Great guy. Um, how'd you like that to be your epitaph throughout history, Doubting Thomas? He was one of the twelve. He did martyr his life in India, but... And Matthew, the tax collector. So that throws a wrench into it right there, because you got Matthew, the traitorous extortionist, the man who sold out his country to the Romans. Wow. You'd want him on your team. Uh, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, you got Matthew, the tax collector, the man who is expressly famous for betraying his people, and Simon the Zealot, a uh, man who belongs to the, to the political party who occasionally kills traitors. Right? That, and you put them together, you know, they're probably bunking together. Uh, so that's going to be peaceful. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, if you don't know the end of the story. So you have betrayer, you have, you know, a, a thief and a traitor. Uh, to his people. You've got this really problematic, nationalistic, militant politician, and it's like, and the shifty dude. You've got all these wrong guys. So that's fun. Uh, incidentally, it's the right time to give a plug for uh, Blue Water Ohana groups. You should probably go to one, and if you walk in and you think, I don't belong here, you belong, according to Scripture. All right, you put the unlikely people together, and that's where the miracles happen. So join up, people. You've got no excuse. And we know we're not the right group for you, but there's a long Christian history of such things. Uh, it says, uh, uh, do not go among the Gentiles, so, so stay local, uh, and proclaim this message. And he gives them a very particular message to proclaim. And the message is, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is here, some of your translations will say. Or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven's right here, people. Now, if you're hearing that for the first time, I come to you and say, hey, the kingdom of heaven's right here. What do you immediately say? What, what do you immediately say louder? Yeah, where? Like, you know, show me, show me. Right? If you preach the message that Jesus preached, then there's an, immediately, there's an immediate show me follow-up. Okay, the kingdom of heaven's right here. It's at hand. We can get a hold of it right now. And the honest audience will say, well, okay, show me. Show me. Uh, and Jesus presumes that, you know, uh, that that's going to happen. 
And so uh, he says, preach the kingdom of heaven is, is here and now. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Well, that would do it. You know, that, that would be a demonstration that something from heaven is happening. And we talk about this a lot at Blue Water. What the kingdom of heaven on earth is, it's the order of heaven come to earth, right? There's no demonic oppression in heaven. So when we bring the order of heaven to earth, the demons flee. There's no sickness in heaven. So when we bring the order of heaven to earth, we cure sickness. There's no poverty in heaven. So when we bring the order of heaven to earth, you know, we bring justice and provision uh, even if we have to do it miraculously, you know, the miracles of the loaves and fishes and stuff like that, even if we don't have enough, somehow in the kingdom of heaven, everything you have is enough. You know, it doesn't matter how much you have, it's always enough. Uh, so he tells them to preach the Jesus message in such a fashion that they need to manifest the Jesus message. They need to actually do a lot of stuff. They can't just talk. They need to demonstrate, Right? Uh, so that's very captivating. That's very powerful. And then he says, freely you have received, freely give. The way I translate that is, do it automatically. You know, freely, without encumbrance. So, which sick people should we heal? Yes. Which, which demon should we cast out? Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, which poor people should we provide for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Freely. Yeah, you know, because... You know, it's been given to you, obviously. We didn't have a lot of requirements when we let you in here. Therefore, you know, have no requirements with how you go about. Be hair-triggered. Be quick, you know. And, you know, let the Lord guide you, of course. But this isn't exclusive. You know, this isn't a narrow stream. You know, you cast your bread widely. Jesus talks about this sort of thing a lot. So be automatic about it. Don't, don't overthink it uh, too much. <clears throat> All of that stuff is awesome. I, I'm thinking about this as like a supernatural boot camp. These guys go out. They have, they have no money. They don't get to take any resources with them. And they're commanded to do a bunch of miracles. To go to some town they don't know and to do a bunch of miracles there. Uh, and it occurs to me that if they try to heal a bunch of people, cast out a bunch of demons, and it doesn't work, they probably won't eat. Because they've got no money and they're relying on the kindness of strangers. And if somebody sh shows up talking about, you know, the kingdom of heaven and tries to do a bunch of supernatural stuff and fails, you're going to treat them as, well, as kind of an enemy, particularly if you're in Israel, which is where they are restricted to. They're going to think, no, nah, you're a faker, you know. Like, I don't see the kingdom of heaven in you. Uh, I'm not giving you food, a place to stay, or something like that. So, you know, my snarky summary of Jesus' business instructions here is perform miracles or die. And I'm not too far off, you know. Like, either you go out, you take this risk, and you do it, or it's going to be very difficult for you. You're going to have some very serious and immediate physical repercussions because I'm not going to let you take any money or food or extra clothing, or I'm not going to, you're not going to call ahead. You don't have reservations. Don't go to where people know you, right? You're going to have to find a worthy person to give you housing when you show up. Like, you know, it's, it's a crazy job description, which kind of brings me to, uh, like, my main takeaway from this passage. Whenever you're reading a passage of Scripture, I think it's useful to ask yourself, you know what I'm going to say? What bugs me about this passage? That's why I always say that. Uh, what bugs me about this passage? And I'll tell you what bugs me about this passage. It's not the message, which I think is a cool message. It's not the 
the instruction to do supernatural things, which I embraced a long time ago. You know, it sounds awesome. Here's what bugs me about this passage. What bugs me about what Jesus did is that he goes out of his way to make it harder than it needs to be. You're going to go out there to where nobody knows you. You're going to preach this message. You're going to do a bunch of miracles. Great, let's get ready. There is no getting ready. Let's do some fundraising. No, no. In fact, empty your pockets before you go. Well, uh, what, what should I take with me? You know, what should I pack? You don't even get to take a suitcase. Inoculations, don't even think about it. Who do I get to go with? People you don't like. You know, and at the end, you know, if I started excited, at the end of this, I'm like, I don't like you. I don't want to go. This, this sucks, right? So, you know, we're just going to go out there practically naked, completely poor. We're going to show up. We're going to say, hey, let me tell you this revolutionary thing you've never heard of before, and now I need to raise a dead person. Do you have any? <laughs> That's exactly what Jesus told them to do. Right? Which is, which is, okay, crazy and supernatural and wonderful and heavenly, but, but rather challenging. Why? You know, that, that's my carry away. It's like, why, why the extra difficulty? You know? you know, why can't they take a backpack? Why can't they take some Purell, you know? We do it when we travel on planes. You don't even get on a plane these days without one of these things. Right? Doesn't that bug you? Is it just me? Doesn't that just bug you? And doesn't it bug you when God has done that in your life? When you're doing something for God and it seems like it's just turning out a lot harder than it needs to be. Doesn't that bug you? I think if we're honest about this and we, we interact with the scripture honestly, it's like this is, this is the worst thing. Right? Resurrect the dead, that's actually not the most challenging phrase from this passage. The most challenging phrase from the passage is, go resurrect the dead, and let me make it hard for you. What? You've already told me to go resurrect the dead. Now you want to add some frustrating details? Isn't it just nuts? I'm just going to let that think in until you are as frustrated as I am. <laughs> Scripture, man, you're not feeling it. Come on. <laughs> it just bugs me a lot. It's the harder road, man. He takes an impossible road and then he makes it harder. He goes out of his way uh, to make it more difficult than it, than it has to be. And, and, you know, and clearly, clearly what's going on here is that Jesus is constructing this enterprise in such a way as to maximize the faith requirements involved, right? I mean, clearly, that's what he's doing. He's, he's adding on extra difficulties and impoverishments and hurdles and obstacles and stuff like that just so before they even take one step, they're trusting God. You know, trusting God. Um, and that's why I think of it as, as a, a boot camp. What I, what I like when I think about it, it's like, I, I know what happens. They go out, they pull off some miracles, they come back, they say, 
uh, it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke in this text. Lord, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So they pulled off some miracles. They all survived, which is great. And ultimately, you know, that goes on to change the world, which is great. Um, but I'm thinking of this as a discipler or as a disciple. When they come back from this trip and it's actually worked and they look at each other and they're all still breathing, what are they going to be afraid of in the future? Are they going to be afraid of poverty? Are they going to be afraid of social anxiety? Are they going to be shy in unfamiliar situations? Are they going to worry about travel viruses? Um, are they going to be afraid of demons? Are they going to be afraid of death? What are they going to be afraid of? And they're human, so the fact is they are going to be afraid of things depending on the day of the week, you know, because humans are quite unstable. But it's like their ministry is a demonstration to the rest of the world. One, with God, there's nothing to be afraid of. You can trust him always. Um, and two, anybody can do this. Anybody can do this because they were stripped down to the bone, mismatched, and, and in some ways you could say misguided. <laughs> they didn't know what was coming. But they pulled it off. So you could probably pull it off as well, right? With your meager resources, probably. I could probably pull it off. Um, and it seems like ministry is to demonstrate that, that principle uh, to the world. I think that's why God so often makes things harder than they need to be. The thing God calls you to might, well, it might take a miracle or several. Um, and it might fail as well. Right at the heart of this passage uh, is this uh, instruction about how to fail. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. Hey, if they don't want you, it's their problem not yours. You stay at peace. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Don't hang out where you're not wanted. You know, don't just sit in a failure for a long time. It's like if it goes south, shake the dust off your feet. It's like, oh, that's your problem. And leave. Uh, I summarize this as uh, fail fast and fail freely. You know, don't, don't let the failures slow you down. If you get one, just quickly move on to the next place. And if it doesn't work out there, move on to the next place. Keep going because, you know, there's plenty of, of places of harvest. It's interesting to me that in this, Jesus' first instructions to his first missionaries, right at the core of it, is a lesson on how to fail. I get excited about that. You know, it tells us, well, you're going to fail. That's part of it because if failure were not an option there would be no risk. And if there's no risk, there's no trust, there's no faith. So let's say it together. Failure is an option. No big deal. No big deal. Yeah. And Jesus just wants to make that clear. It's the harder road. So uh, what God calls you to might take miracles and might involve failures uh, along the way. If this were not true, there'd be no risk. There are no risk, there'd be no faith. There are no faith. 
we wouldn't be demonstrating to the world what we need to demonstrate uh, to the world. It's the harder road by design. It's not an accident. God hasn't forgotten you. It's by design. It's exactly how Jesus said it would work. So here are some mistakes that we could make when God calls us to something. Uh, when you get that feeling that Lord, the Lord wants you to do a, a certain something, uh, you could ruin it by looking for guarantees. Guarantees, are we sure it's going to work? Have you ever said that? Is this going to work? Is it not going to work? Yeah. You don't get to do that. You don't get to seek guarantees. I know it's human nature, but we don't get to do it in the kingdom of God. You could also ruin it by becoming offended when it's hard or when the results are mixed, when there's a failure involved. You could get really offended. <gasps> Wait a minute. God called me to do this. I did it with my whole heart and it didn't work out. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I've seen it happen a lot. And you don't get to do that because Jesus tells us up front that you have to just shake it off, literally. This is the first historical example of someone saying, shake it off. You know, move on and go to the next thing. You don't get to be offended. You don't. That's not your privilege as a follower of Jesus. Uh, you could ruin it by insisting on doing everything according to natural strength instead of supernatural strength. Because Jesus very upfront says, if you're going to pull this off, you've got to do outrageously supernatural things. So if we go out there and we try to do it all in natural strength, we're violating the job description. If you can do it just through really superior organization, it's probably not Jesus calling you to do it. I mean, you know, it, it might because, you know, not everything has to be a supernatural miracle, but the arc of your life must involve them, right? They, they must get involved in your journey somewhere. Otherwise, something funny is going on. Something funny is going on, and you might want to think about that a little bit. You could ruin it by preaching the wrong message when you go out. The message is the kingdom of God is here. That can be expressed in a whole bunch of different ways. But presumably, the message you preach must be God-themed and God-centered, right? In some way, shape, or form, what you do with your life has to say to people, come and experience God. Come and experience God. Not just, let me tell you about God, <laughs> right? Because the kingdom of God is here, then the next question is going to be, where? Show me. <laughs> and you have to be ready for that. No, no, I mean, I can't show you now. But let me describe how it's going to be in eternity. Mm, mm, no, that's not the message that Jesus gave us. That is a very cool thing to think about. But it's not the message that Jesus gave us. The message that Jesus gave us is manifest the kingdom, show the kingdom, demonstrate the kingdom so that your invitations are legitimate. Um, so that's interesting. Believe that it's God who will make the difference, ultimately. You, you can't preach a message that doesn't require God to do something cool in the heart of it. Right? Um, and uh, the sent ones in Matthew went out and they prepared a way for, for Jesus uh, to come. In the early days of this church, I had a slogan. Some people, uh, some of our old guard leaders didn't like this slogan. I think it worked for Antonio and me quite a bit. So. Here's what we would do. Every Sunday, we'd come into the office and we'd prepare for service and like we'd try to print programs and stuff like that. This was in the early days where like we had nothing but one printer that worked sometimes. 
And, uh, you know, it was all we could do to, like, generate rent for the gym and stuff like that. And we tried to print the bulletins, and, and uh, the printer would never work, you know, so I would end up screaming curses at it, and Antonio would be, like, very implacable. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I kind of developed this slogan, you know, is it going to work? Well, I feel like we have a 2% chance of success today. You guys remember that? And I would get lectured on that all the time. No, with Jesus, anything's possible. No, no, a 2% chance of success. And uh, I even suggested a bumper sticker at one point. And that got shot down mercilessly. 2% chance of success. But what, what, I was, what I was reminding myself of, what I was trying to, you know, just kind of get out there in the air, was it's supposed to look unlikely. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to look unlikely. And... And what happens to me is that I come in and the printer doesn't work again. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's not going to work today. And, and then I say, well, it's supposed to look like that. <laughs> right? It's supposed to look like that. It's not as romantic when it's just your printer or it's poor traffic. You know, it's more romantic if you're being dragged in front of the governor. You know, it's like at least you can get, you know, passionate about that. But it's supposed to feel like it might not work or there's a good chance that, that it doesn't work. And then I just tried to settle on that. And do you like that slogan? Sh- should I resurrect it? And I'm seeing a lot of shaking heads. Uh, well, it works for me, so there. <clears throat> it's just a general rule of thumb anyway, not a rule, because ultimately with Jesus you will succeed ultimately. It's just that the road will be harder than it needs to be. I can pretty much promise you that. Ultimately you'll get there but the road will be harder than it needs to be. Accept it or get out of the game. That's kind of how it is. And Jesus will revisit this theme, this theme periodically uh, in the Gospels. Um, I feel like we're always doing things around Blue Water that have a 2% chance of success, so to speak. You know, like we're always trying things. We always try to make space in our Sunday services for something supernatural to happen. Every once in a while, we'll just give a Sunday service for a healing meeting or something like that. And we fail a lot at those meetings, but of course we succeed uh, a fair number of times in in our healing services as well. Um, Just the fact that the church exists is sort of of an adventure and unlikelihood. (laughs) You know, we got lots of stories about that. Um, And I know some of you are living... Uh, unlikely lives, the stuff that we do, and justice ministry and shelter ministry and rehab and stuff like that, all sorts of situations that seem unlikely in in the first instance. Um, But we want to do more. We want to bring the kingdom. One of the things that we're doing that has always seemed unlikely is that we're searching for a building. We're searching for a facility uh, for the church. Uh, Not so that you guys can have more comfortable chairs or air conditioning. That's not really the reason. Although... Um, and, it, and it, it really doesn't have to do with, with Sunday gathering on its own, you know, per se. It's because we have a lot of opportunity lost, right, because we just live here. Um, you know, we don't control this place 24-7. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we can't do for the community uh, as a result. So, you know, we're, we're always shopping. Uh, a property uh, has become available recently, which is like, outlandishly in order of magnitude beyond our cash resources. Uh, There's like a 0.2% chance of success. I get it. Uh, But 
but some of us are praying about it seriously, so I just wanted to make the congregation uh, aware of it. We have some photos. It's, it's the property of the former St. Francis School and Convent, which is in Manoa. There it is. It's over 11 acres, super unique. Yeah, like we, don't, don't get excited yet, because this is a sober message. I'm supposed to talk you into faith, people. It's my job. Um, and, uh, you know, it's got, uh, it's a convent, right? And so it's got huge dorm rooms. We could do a lot of justice ministry, housing and sheltering, community living, uh, and a lot of community ministry. It's got healthcare facilities. It's got a cafeteria and a gym, plenty of space for us to do stuff like this. And it's got about 200 parking spaces. Um, uh, it's right next to YWAM, and Youth with a Mission has also been praying about this property and thinking about maybe uh, going in to deal with us, but it's all very up in the air. So what I would like to ask you to do now, because this would be such a huge miracle, you know, millions and millions of dollars, is just ask you this week to pray and fast with us, uh, the leaders of the church who are uh, thinking about whether and how we might go for it, because really, I can't see a way from here to there uh, financially. Uh, it would have to, some, God would have to do something enormously creative. Uh, but because it's come up on the prayer radar and stuff like this, we feel like, oh, well, we've done stupider things. YWAM has done stupider things. Maybe more stupid than anything we've done. Um, so could I invite you to do that this week? I think the only, the, only, the only way to go forward is just to be really humble about it and be like, seriously? Like, how are we going to do this, Lord? What do you have in mind? And just pray prayers of discernment. Um, if you could just, and most of you, if you could just give it 10 minutes a day, just pray about it, listen to anything the Lord says, communicate with your Ohana group leaders, if no one else, about anything that you hear from the Lord because we're in the discernment process and we have to discern this together because ultimately it would take a lot of sacrifice from a lot of people. Uh, to pull something like, like this off. And then, you know, if you consider yourself a leader of the church, you could press in a little more deeply in prayer and fasting. And I don't really need to give you instruction on that. Uh, you know what to do. Uh, <clears throat> but there you go. Not that I don't love the Palama Gym, but um, <clears throat> I uh, feel like it, I need, um, you know, air conditioning and flush carpeting, and at least one stained glass window. <laughs> Not a thing I said there was true, but. Anyway, uh, and, and uh, you know, we'll continue to pray about it and then, you know, check in over the weeks. Like I say, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy plan. Crazy. We've done crazy things a lot and sometimes failed. And this may well fail, which of course makes it a worthy enterprise instead of faith enterprise. Back to your life, your individual life, at least occasionally in your life, God will call you to the harder road. And I just want you to be aware of that so that you don't get scandalized when it happens. Uh, these 12 guys that were sent out changed the world. 11, 11 out of 12, 12 of them also suffered premature murderous deaths. I'm just saying. Um, we want to be amazingly fruitful and amazingly sacrificial. And, and at least occasionally, God will call you to the harder road, the one that requires more faith. The one that actually requires supernatural things to happen. 
inexplicable, unnatural stuff to go down. God will call you to that occasionally. Uh, he will call you to journeys that involve failures. You know, and you're just going to have to learn to fail fast and to fail in faith and to keep going. You're going to have to learn to do things automatically, freely you've received, freely give. So don't be all cautious and uptight. You know, Christians are free and peaceful. We give blessings of peace if we get angst in return. We just take our peace and go. God will call you to situations in which you get opposed like that. Uh, at least occasionally. And what you will do if you accept all of those things is that you will ultimately prepare the way of Christ to come into those situations and to change lives and to bring light um, that only he can bring. And you have authority to do that all. You have specifically been given authority to pull it off. I mean, you guys have the license for that. You know, and if you don't do it, it's not like there's somebody more appropriate. And if there were, God would just strip them down naked before he sent them out, you know? Anybody can pull this off. And it's you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's how Jesus sees it. That's how he called it. And that's how he called us. I'm going to end by just inviting the Holy Spirit to come and to speak stirringly, I hope, um, to you about the call that is on your life and particularly the sort of call that he puts out in Matthew 10, you know, which is the call to the harder road. Your life will be unspeakably, mysteriously fruitful and unspeakably, mysteriously frustrating. That's how it is, man. Holy Spirit, uh, I pray that you would come and to speak to hearts and spirits about the next phase of our journey, our journey together or our individual journeys. You speak, Holy Spirit. Uh, we pray that we would feel your voice this morning. Not just hear it, but feel it. When you feel the voice of the Lord, it changes you. Something happens. What were you made for after all? What were you made for after all? What kind of life did you want after all? there's a segment of the population here at Blue Water that has for a long time been in this space. Hey, whatever you say, Lord, I'm in. Uh, you're just people of faith, cultivating a life of faith. And um, I just bless your ears and your hearts and your minds to hear uh, what's next for our community together. Um, you are the pillars of the house of God on earth. Um, the Lord has given you authority for it. Uh, so, uh, Listen with authority in Jesus' name.